This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to visit with Kristen McDermott Woodrum. And Kristen's going to talk to us today about what she's watching, what trends she's watching in digital health and in healthcare. She helps lead the digital health effort at McGuire Woods. She's a brilliant lawyer and business thinker about healthcare. Kristen, tell us what you're watching currently and take a moment just to introduce yourself real quick to the audience, too. Sure. Thanks so much, Scott. Um, Kristen McDermott Woodrum, I'm a healthcare partner in the Atlanta office of McGuire Woods. And as Scott said, focus on transactions involving healthcare players um, and regulatory advice to particularly new models of care and alignments and business ventures. Um, and there's certainly been a lot to watch in 2023, um, a lot of uncertainty in many areas. But one area I've been focused on for the past week is the end of the public health emergency. As predicted, the PHU will end this spring on May 11th. Um, last month, the Biden administration had extended the PHG for another 90 days, which set it to expire on April 11th, and the COVID-19 national emergency had been extended through March 1st. Last week, OMB issued a statement of administration policy announcing a plan to extend both declarations to May 11th and then end them both on that date. And the announcement, I think, addressed a House bill um, and a joint resolution that would have sought to terminate the emergencies a little more quickly. I mean, they have been in place since early 2020. Tell us, tell us sort of like what that means for hospitals and health systems in terms of reimbursement, yeah. where they're already struggling. What does it mean for telehealth? What, what, is it, what are some of the implications of ending the public health emergency? Talk to us about that a little bit. What, what will this mean? Yeah, so... There are a lot of different impacts on hospitals. Um, we've had three years to anticipate it. So I think, um, you know, there should be a, a planned response in place, but it's been a moving target over the past three years, just given different rulemaking and different um, congressional actions. So for, you know, the COVID response, there, there will be a little bit of a financial impact. Everyone's also watching sort of the indirect impact of Medicaid and shifting some of that population perhaps onto exchange plans. Um, from an operational standpoint, there have been waivers in place, some of the 1135 and other waivers um, dealing with operational and clinical matters. Some of those have already ended, um, but hospitals will have to make sure that um, they are tracking all of the waivers they've taken advantage of. And I think CMS is working pretty frantically to update all of their fact sheets in the roadmap. But as of right now, all of that information is sort of scattered in different places and not very updated. So, um, you know, I think as the government works to centralize these, you know, the guidance um, and release updates until May 11th, systems will need to internalize, um, kind of coordinate with their centralized checklists and plans for um, just a practical effect. Since this has been in effect for three years, there may be staff that don't know what normal is. <laughs> so I think training and kind of implementation of just your policies and procedures is something that health systems and other providers will need to focus on. In terms of telehealth, that's an interesting one. Um, the telehealth flexibilities we've enjoyed during the pandemic have been really popular and were most recently extended through the Consolidated Appropriations Act that was passed at the end of 2022 through December 31st, 2024. 
they were gonna expire 151 days after the end of the PHG, but Congress bought us until the end of 2024, which is a significant chunk of time. Um, and a lot of the telehealth um, flexibilities will be extended, including um, just the definitions of the originating sites and the types of practitioners that could furnish telehealth, um, sort of inpatient requirements, reimbursement for audio only, which is popular with seniors and some others. Um, some of the telehealth on face-to-face -face requirements for recertification, you know, like hospice care. But I, I imagine that over this period of time, we're gonna see the OMB really focused on the costs in MedPAC and others of allowing telehealth. Will it be something that replaces care or will it be an additional expense, um, which would be hard for the, the system to shoulder? Um, interesting, the hospital at home program has also been extended through the end of 2024. And at last check, they were up to, I think 37 states have programs, about 260 hospitals are doing it. So it doesn't look like these things will go away, but I would imagine they'll be studied in the interim. There's some other, obviously, you know, flexibilities, including the fraud and abuse laws. I think a lot of our clients are sensitive to the compliance risks there and have sought to use those sort of early on judiciously when needed. Um, they, you know, any use of those should relate to the COVID public health emergency, but that was defined pretty broadly. Um, one that I think might sneak up on, on some folks is the um, Stark Law Waiver for um, in-office ancillary services. There is a waiver that uh, gave some flexibility on where VHS could be furnished and this is an exception that's crucial for group practices who are providing um, any sort of services like prescription drugs within their practice. It allows, if this is ancillary to the medical services, them to refer it within their group practice, you know, even though they're, they're billing the government and, and making some money from that. Um, but during the PHG, F, uh, CMS released an FAQ that confirmed or clarified its position on this location test of the in-office ancillary services exception and said that, you know, their position had always been um, that the patient has to receive the item in the physician's office. So where many of these groups may be mailing prescription drugs or furnishing DHS um, under the COVID flexibilities, you know, there's now this sort of confirmation that that's not going to comply with this exception post-PHE. And given that we've got a lot of operational considerations and kind of patient clinical care changes to implement, and we only have a couple months now, um, that's one that I would just flag for folks, put it on their radar. No, thank you, thank you. So as I hear, as I hear you talk about this, Kristen, there's, there's really five or six or seven core things people should be thinking about. There's certain waivers that hospitals have been operating under with the public health emergency. They've got to sort of check those, look at those, what are those? Second, there's sort of telehealth and third hospital at home programs that sort of were enabled partly through public health emergency, but separate extensions allowed for those for at least a period of time as CMS, MedPAC, and others try and sort of figure that out. Um, fourth, there's this issue of Medicaid versus HCA plans and support for Medicaid. 
during the public health emergency and, and what happens with that. Fifth, there's this issue of certain waivers and flexibilities built into the anti-kickback section of the Star Clause that will go away without the public health emergency to see what those look like. Uh, and, and finally, six, I, I believe under the public health emergency, there were certain monies available for COVID vaccines and for other things that might not be available going forward and for treatments and so forth. And that might also, I mean, a lot of these things at the end of the day might cause a little bit more financial harm to hospitals than in a, in a time when hospitals are already in a, in a challenging time from a margin standpoint. But but again, the topic today is the end of the, quote, PA, public health emergency, and, and really what that means. And six or seven big factors, and I take it over the next couple months, there will be a lot of trying to just to, to distill down what exactly this means for everybody in terms of reimbursement, in terms of policies, in terms of what they're doing, in terms of telehealth, hospital home, and everything else. Kristen, anything else that you wanted to briefly add to that? No, I thought that was a very succinct and thorough summary, um, as always, Scott. Um, but yeah, it's it's finally ending. I think a lot of a lot of us have said it's going to end. We'll we'll figure it out when it happens because it's just we've kicked the can down the road so many times. But you know, May 11th looks like it's the date, so it's time to really really get organized and and make sure you you're prepared. Fascinating. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Kristen. Kristen McDermott, Woodrum, brilliant lawyer at McGuire Woods and business thinker. Thank you so much for joining us on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Scott.